Welcome to Waiting for Christ, Meditations for Advent and Christmas book study. This is Mike Christie. I'm here with Father Dominic Rankin, who Hello. serves as Bishop Paprocki's Master of Ceremonies, uh, priest secretary, um, serves as a priest at the cathedral, so you'll uh, see him there quite a bit, and works uh, semi-part-time, full-time here in the offices of the uh, Curia. Welcome. Thank you. And thanks for joining. And we have Sister Veritas Wilkes, who uh, works here also as uh, Director of Youth Ministry and Women's Ministry, has a background teaching, studied philosophy and theology. Uh, We'll hope to make good use of that today. Um, Was a program director at a camp. That's right. Somehow that'll come into the programming. Can we describe what kind of camp? Yeah, what kind of camp was that? The best ever. The best ever camp. It was a Catholic summer camp and retreat center. Owned and operated by the Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin. Shout out Camp Gray. Camp Gray. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) All right. So we are here to talk about uh, Dr. Bloom's, uh, Dr. Christopher Bloom from the Augustine Institute, put together a compilation of St. John Henry Newman's uh, sermons, homilies for each day of Advent and the Christmas season. And, uh, you know, some of us have, were talking as we've been reading this book about it's really hard to do deep, thoughtful, substantive short. And uh, I don't know that anybody does that better than St. John Henry Newman. Not that I found. And so we'll, uh, we'll attempt to sort of, you know, highlight some things and maybe just uh, our intent here is for those who are, are reading the book um, to give a little bit of our own reflections, maybe to kind of start discussions. Some uh, groups are getting together, kind of studying the group together. So hopefully this will help, uh, help start that dialogue as well. For those who are not yet reading the book, strongly encourage it. Uh, Father Dominic, what struck you for this first week of Advent? So you said it was succinct and I, I think I can narrow down what struck me to one line it's on page 21 of uh, the book here and it's when he's talking about the ventures of faith for December 3rd St. John Henry Newman says in the middle of the page our duty as Christian lies in this in making ventures for eternal life without the absolute certainty of success and he goes into, after that, he's speaking about St. Francis Xavier and also the other, the, uh, the, the call of the apostles and other biblical kind of references here. But he's, he's speaking about the fact that they really had to throw everything behind Christ themselves, um, everything they, they had, they owned. Um, they had to be willing to risk it all uh, for the sake of following after the Lord and the, their own discipleship with him. And there's that sense of, if we're not willing, if we, if we haven't risked something, if we haven't risked everything, then is Christ really the most important thing in our life? And he just like throws that question down at the beginning of Advent, and you're like, oh, man, humdinger. Like, he's so right, though. He's so right. Um, later on in this same chapter, when he kind of fleshes that out, he talks about the man of faith who has to be willing to leave behind wealth and comfort and acclaim and everything else that can kind of attract our attention and draw us in um, uh, all around us. Not only must be must he be willing to part with those things, but like he has to choose to part with them already. He has to pray that the Lord would dig out of his heart the attraction that he has to those things. It's not enough to uh, 
sort of kind of think, well, I'm not really attached to those things. You know, if somebody were, if Jesus were to show up and take them out of my life, then, I mean, sure, I'd, I'd surrender them. But it's like, no, you'd be working on that now, you know. I don't know. Um, at the same time, it, it you know, it, at a surface level, it strikes me as odd to ask Jesus to take away the desire for something I want. It sort of can be counterintuitive, right? If I desire something, I want it, right? So, I don't know. I think he's probably getting at the fact that we have to ask him to kind of purify those desires. Um, because to some extent, the, the Lord has placed within our heart those desires that in the end are directed all the way up to God. But he's put us in a created world that's filled with other things and other people and other, you know, responsibilities. He doesn't mean for us to just ignore that, of course, but to allow those, those things and those people and those tasks that we are given to always be you know, kind of directing us towards him, uh, to always be kind of an icon, you know, of God's love, so to speak, an icon of his graciousness towards us, rather than becoming themselves kind of an idol that we're, you know, uh, wrapping our our life around. Yeah, I think um, for me, this is something I've actually been thinking about in the past year, actually our desires, you know, we have in our sinful, fallen human nature, obviously we have desires that we can have, that are not good and not leading us to God in any way. And so we obviously want to ask him to take away those desires and do whatever effort on our part is involved in that way. But then we also have these desires for good and holy things that are designed to lead us to God. Um, So that's where I've come in in my prayer in the past year is kind of realizing in my life those areas in which those good desires have taken, they've kind of replaced then. Hmm. I've settled or less than God is actually wanting to give me. And so in those areas, that's where I've begun to pray, like, God, grant me the desire for you alone or for mm. you above all else. And um, like like Father is saying, that's how I, what I related to when you said um, purifying our desires um, to, in my effort to have those desires lead me to the right place, to the most fulfilling place. Well, there's a kind of a, um, I guess, St. Thomas in, in what you're saying mm-hmm. where, you know, there, there are multiple goods. There's a hierarchy of goods, right? Yeah. And so our desires, you know, might be sometimes uh, disordered relative to that hierarchy of goods, right? So um, ultimately, our strongest desire, and it gets back to your comment or your observation about St. John Henry Newman's observation about the venture. You know, what am I willing to, um, what am I willing to forego? The other thing, you know, when you read, it didn't strike me when I, when I read it, but when I heard you read it, almost kind of that definition of the venture as, um, you know, engaging in something with an uncertain outcome, um, you know, adventure, you know, is kind of um, what struck me there. I don't know if that was part of what you were getting at. Yeah, once I read that quote as well myself, at first the venture, it, it kind of strikes my heart it's like, oh yeah, let's go on an adventure, you know, that sounds like fun. And then you start reading about like what it's going to cost, you're like, well, I mean, maybe <laughs> can we scale it back? Like not quite as, not quite as all in. And then he kind of doubles down as he says, without the absolute certainty of success. Hmm. And I think that gets down deeper even than the prospect of, you know, sacrifice and, and hardship and kind of like it takes some courage and it takes some zeal. But the fact that we don't know, we're not certain of success, it's not within our grasp, it's not within our power to say, I'm definitely going to make it. Uh, obviously, that requires, you know, our trust in the Lord that he's going to bring us through. That's the whole point. But in the day in and day out, it means that kind of weightiness of the task at hand that 
costs us everything, but we don't yet have, you know, like when we, when we go and buy something, when we go and, you know, expend effort to produce something, uh, when we take on a particular task or a particular, you know, responsibility, we're kind of apt to sort of judge like, well, Jesus gives the parable, you know, like if a man's going to go into battle and he's got a thousand troops, like he's going to make sure like he has enough to finish the job mm-hmm. um, before he goes in. But to some extent, the, the life of a Christian asks us to risk it all, even when you're uncertain about the, the outcome. Well, and there's also something I think um, uniquely Catholic in that, which is the already but not yetness of we know we're certain of the ultimate outcome in sure. the universe, yeah. right? But St. Paul talks about, you know, working out our faith with fear and trembling, right? And he talks about perseverance in the in the race all the way to the finish. So there's that element of in the universe, the outcome's certain, but, you know, I am being saved or, you know, maybe cooperating with or against God's plan for my salvation on a day-to-day basis. If we go back to the word adventure, isn't that what adventure is all about? Isn't that why something feels Drama. exciting and adventurous? Because you don't actually know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're climbing the mountain. What, yeah. what problems you're going to have along the way and how are you going to solve them and encounter them? And also, just throwing this out there, the word advent is also an adventure. Aha. Uh-huh. Adventure. Ad- See what you did there? Adventure. See That's what I did there? Pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sister, what struck you? Well, it's, you know, a little bit related to what you're just talking about, the already and the not yet and the... The little bit of, um, well, not a little bit, and sometimes a lot of uncertainty. So what struck me is, I think, in a lot of the readings in the past week, that this idea of venturing, what are we willing to sacrifice, what are we willing to give up, and the, the theme of faith came up a lot in all these different little ways. There's this sense of, we're not sure. We have to act and live and pray with such certainty about something that we actually can't fully see Hmm. and experience and we can't know it right now with scientific certainty we talk about moral certainty we can be sure based on our experiences and because of faith and because of the gifts that god gives us but it's a different kind of sureness if you will and um, we talk about saint paul talks about being you know right now everything's behind a veil Hmm. and i don't mean the kind of veil that i'm wearing Because it doesn't actually cover your eyes. (laughs) Right. And this veil is meant to stay on, but the veil that, you know, is between us and and heaven and between us and God kind of makes things hard to see. But we know he's there. We know he's with us. Um, But that veil is meant to be temporary. And so in our whole lives, we are experiencing a sense of waiting, waiting for that veil to be lifted, waiting to experience fully the deepest desires of our hearts being fulfilled, like we were talking about, waiting for the the culmination and the final last dramatic scenes of mm. the adventure and the, the happily ever after ending of the movie. And um, so we're waiting our whole lives and we're waiting patiently. But in the meantime, like you said, we have to work out our faith with fear and trembling. And mm. we don't just sit back and kick our feet up on the couch and wait for it to happen because that's going to be no good. So then I, I was, as for I was reflecting on that, I just got to think about Advent in general. And what is Advent is a period of waiting. We're mm-hmm. waiting for Christmas. We're waiting for Jesus to come. And we're, so I was seeing, trying to think about how that relates to what I was just talking about. And are we waiting for the veil to be lifted at the end of Advent? Well, Jesus comes into our world. So it seems to me like the veil isn't being lifted so much as at Christmas we celebrate the incarnation. Jesus stepping into our side of the veil mm-hmm. is what it seems like to me. And through that, though, we have the 
the beauty and the gift of his life and his Paschal mystery, his death and resurrection. We have the sacraments. Um, we have this knowledge of a relationship with, with Christ that we can have on this earth. And when he stepped into our world and came on our side of the veil, he made it possible for us to experience in a limited way um, this, and in a, a limited and a, a temporary and not yet kind of way, like you said, but an already way we can experience a little bit of what we'll be experiencing fully when the veil is fully lifted. Now that, you, th- this idea that you've introduced of he enters into our world, comes onto into our side of the veil, if you will. He doesn't necessarily lift the veil. There's still this kind mm-hmm. of hiddenness. There's still this we're not quite there yet. But he comes on into our side of it, if you will, actually solves a problem for me. Oh, good, because I just made that whole yeah, thing up. No, that was that was <laughs> way to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So... Uh, there, there, I want to point to something that kind of goes completely the other direction from what you said, and I was wrestling with how to resolve it, and, and so I'll come back to that. On page 30, St. John Henry Newman writes, this will be seen more clearly. Um, he's talking about the um, being in somebody's presence versus somebody's absence. Um, He says, this will be seen more clearly by considering how differently we feel towards and speak of our friends as present or absent. Their presence is a check upon us. It acts as an external law, compelling us to do or not to do what we should or should not do otherwise. So, okay, this, you know, first of all, condemned me. You know, as I read it, you're thinking, okay, uh, if somebody's in your presence versus not in your presence, do you talk differently about them? Do you do you say things on their behalf, maybe knowing their mind, presuming to know their mind, maybe more so than you would if they were there in your midst, right? So absolutely, we talk about Sister Veritas differently when she's not in the room. How right? interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so so there's, there's something to that. Um, now... Okay, first of all, one of the things that struck me about that is it reminded me of one of the, you know, most perplexing but at the same time clarifying and convicting things I find in Scripture, which is in the third chapter of Genesis when Adam hides from God. The absurdity of mm-hmm. that, right? Like, so you know God is the creator of the universe. You know he, he – nobody, you know, from a human perspective knew God, you know, without the veil – uh, any more intimately than Adam did, and yet he hides from him as if he's not there, right? So this this idea of you know God's presence versus not presence, and um, and us you know not able to see him as Sister said, but knowing that he's there, you know, and then also kind of got me thinking a bit about the um, the Eucharist, right? So when when we know that Jesus is truly present. And this, um, this idea of, yeah, here he is in our midst, like literally we can see him um, in the fullness of his humanity and divinity. We drop to our knees and we say those words, Lord, I am not worthy, right? So, and St. John Henry Newman goes on to speak about fear as a response, right? So that, that sense of unworthiness. And what struck me about that is the kind of like a child who stands in front of the ocean for the first time. You're just in the presence of something so other, right? It, that's undeniable, empirical, and real, and other. So I read this, and I, and I kind of read his his speaking about, you know, the, the presence versus absence, and 
um, you know, in light of what Sister was saying about the veil and he comes on our side of the veil, clearly in the Eucharist he does, right? And he makes himself present in that way. But do we think and talk and act as though, sort of like Adam, as if we can pretend that he's not there just because we, we don't have the fullness of the veil being lifted? I think that's the great place where, um, in the story of Adam and Eve as well, but also in our own story, in our own day, the Lord offers us kind of that, I guess, freedom. You know, if we were standing in the presence of God and he was just like that that burning fire of the love of the Trinity was just like, you know, right there kind of consuming us or you know, whatever you talk about that, right? There's a sense that um, we wouldn't have the same way of learning to love that we do here below. You know, he sort of hides himself to some extent, right? Uh, he humbles himself in order to make it so that we are not just like carried away by that presence. He asks us for that choice to love, that choice to have faith, that choice to follow. Yeah, I mean, I um, hearing you say that, I think of how I've tried to explain grace and the sacraments to third graders, right? So to, to little kids and how God uses the material created world to you know, sort of administer his grace to us. And and the way that I tried to describe that to them, I don't know if it worked or not, is, you know, imagine you walked up to a power plant and there was an outlet at the edge of the power plant that had all the power of the entire power plant and you just stuck your finger in it. What do you think would happen? Mm-hmm. Of course, with third graders, they get really animated about, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all sorts of descriptive, yeah, literally like. <laughs> describing what's going to happen, right? But the, there's an element to that Father Dominic, and what you're saying of, you know, if God were to fully reveal himself without the veil, could we even, would we just like die of a heart attack on the spot? Could we even handle it? Yeah. I mean, not right now, right? Like that's what, (laughs) that's what uh, the whole Christian life and and purgatory and everything else kind of fits into is like, this is a long process that's going to take to kind of make us ready to see God. And that's probably why you said you felt condemned when you read that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah. I felt very convicted, too. So on uh, we're talking about the December 5th reading, I felt so convicted when I read that. How do I? I mean, oh, my gosh. I'm a sister, right? So people probably look at us, Father, right, and mm. think, oh, they don't even have to go to confession. They do everything right all the time. They're so holy. But I don't have that problem. Not, you don't have that problem, but we do. Um, you Even us, and maybe more so, especially us, we can fall into this sense of I'm doing all the right things and this sense of comfort and relaxation. But to some extent, that's true for every Christian, for every right. Catholic, right? Both sides of the coin. Right, exactly. What you just so yeah. in, that, in that sense, we're all in the same boat, and I felt very convicted in, in many ways. And, and I also thought about just today's society in general. Um, I went back to the introduction after I read this November 5th one, and I was like, when were these things written? Mm-hmm. I didn't remember mm-hmm. necessarily. And John Henry Newman lived from 1801 to 1890. That's when somewhere in there these, yeah. these things were written mm-hmm. in. In the introduction, it, it talks about how these are just small snippets, enough so that you can digest it, but it's still easy to understand. And he's calling us out on these things that many years ago. Mm-hmm. That's I can't even do that. Feels right like now. it's today. Yeah, it feels it does, like it's it today. Right and I, mm-hmm. I um, it was making me think of this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism mm-hmm. and uh, um, yeah. this idea yep. that feel good. How we live today is we kind of live in the way that. John Henry Newman was talking about, mm-hmm. like, what is that, 100 and... Yeah, 150 years ago sometimes. Whatever, yeah, yeah that math, that's I, hard. <laughs> so, but this idea that, well, Jesus loves me, he wants me to be happy. Um, I actually had this, I was thinking about what, how do I sit 
when I pray? How do I kneel? Oh yeah. How I am remember, I lazy? I, love when you were about that. I just, I, you know, I do have a lot of experience with high schoolers and middle schoolers and there's a tendency a lot of times, for example, in something like adoration to, you want the kids to feel comfortable sure. around Jesus. Right. So it's tempting, I think for people sometimes say, well, bring all oh, kids, we're going to bring our pillows and blankets and we're going to get cozy with Jesus and adoration. And that's actually not hmm. really appropriate, but there is a certain sense of it at a certain point. Hopefully you do reach a comfort and a familiarity and intimacy with Jesus as a, a, your closest friend that you can talk to in that way. But I think it has but to be... But there's a progression there, right? Yes, so that's exactly that goes what back I was going to say. That goes back to you, don't, the, you don't start with the comfortable. No, and, right. and it goes back to what do we say, you know, at that moment when, you know, in the Eucharist, Jesus is present at yeah. the altar. We, we say, fall on our knees. Lord, I am Lord, not, not worthy, worthy, but only say the word and I shall be healed, right? So the, the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit's indwelling in us. The first movement of the Holy Spirit, if we're in a state of mortal sin, in other words, being separated from communion with God, right, is to convict. Yes. Yeah. You know, the first movement is the sense of unworthiness mm-hmm. before I can have that sense mm-hmm. of, of friendship yes. authentically. So, right? we, yeah. yeah, we first have to be taught to reverence mm-hmm. and understand ourselves. Our first thing we have to learn about ourselves in the light of Christ is that we don't measure up and therefore we need him. And that has to be that has to be learned first. Well, and that's probably a good place for us to wrap up because it is, I think, in an important way, the movement of the season, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, in, yeah. in the in the waiting in Advent, you know, it's not, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, this isn't about the excitement of you know Christmas morning and presents, right? <laughs> this is about that, you know, preparing ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, to the conversation we had about to to have that experience of the of the presence of of Christ, and are we ready, right? Um, that that movement from I am not worthy to you know uh, but only say the word and I shall be healed to to use this as a time of preparation this is kind of one chapter in the journey toward that readiness so and I think it also it brings us back to where we just started this discussion of what's our highest desire mm-hmm. you know because the Christian moves from the place of I better repent you know I need God to I, I want God like I, mm-hmm. I need him in a like a, a, a real and visceral and like my life is not complete without him kind of way and there's no way I'm going to get out of this mess whatever mess that I happen to be in today you know without the Lord as my savior as my redeemer mm-hmm. as you know born, born into my life amen father you want to close us in prayer yeah in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen lord we ask that you would send into our hearts the same spirit that you gave to saint john henry newman Light us, light our hearts on fire once again with longing for you, longing for your coming. Allow us to know your love more fully and more completely in our lives. May we surrender all that we are into your hands and all that you've given to us. Now I'll impart my blessing to conclude us off. The Lord be with you. With your your spirit. spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go Thank in you. peace. Thank Thanks you. be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, sister. Can I add a PS? PS. Yeah, like a letter I'm writing a PS because you brought up Christmas morning and presents and that we know that's not what Advent is all about, but I know there's at least one listener out there who just got distracted by the thought and is now wondering, but do sisters get Christmas presents okay. and open them on Christmas morning? And the answer is yes. And you immediately give them to the poor? Stay tuned. The answer will come next week. (laughs) Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. We'll be back next week. Thank you.